Girlfriends, episode number 316, Nine Ideas for a Blessed Holy Week. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week we are ready for Holy Week. I've got some ideas to share with you. Let's get started. Hey, girlfriend, how are you? Thanks for being here. Always glad to connect with you on the Girlfriends podcast. We're going to be sharing some ideas for Holy Week because by the time this episode publishes, it'll be Tuesday of Holy Week. How did that go by so quickly? Do I say this every year? Yes. Am I still surprised every year when time passes quickly and Lent is over before I know it? Yes. You know, at the end of Lent, I think we have mixed feelings sometimes depending on how Lent has gone for us. You know, we talked quite a bit earlier on in previous episodes about how like Lent isn't like a a little project where you're going to get a grade at the end of the day, right? It's really an invitation into deeper relationship with your creator. And that's a lovely thing. So don't feel like you can fail at Lent. Yes, you can fail to live up to your commitments. You can fail to plan at all. Um, But you can't just fail Lent. Lent is an invitation to relationship. So let's approach Holy Week in the same way. You know, no matter how you feel about how Lent went for you this year, whether you were great about keeping all of your commitments or if you fell off the rails, Holy Week is an opportunity to kind of hit the reset button. You know, you can begin again. Holy Week is like a mini Lent. You could look at it that way, like a real, an opportunity to go deeper into relationship with God, to go deeper with some of our our prayers, our penances, our almsgiving, our sacrifices, in order to prepare ourselves and prepare our hearts for Easter, for receiving Easter joy. That's a lovely invitation. So I want to encourage you wherever you find yourself this Holy Week to hit that reset button and dive into Holy Week with a new plan for just these few sacred days of the year. These days should truly be set apart. They are set apart in the liturgical year, in the church calendar, for good reason, because we are meant to be behaving differently, praying differently, being open to graces in a significant way during this part of the liturgical year, during Holy Week, especially during the Triduum, which is Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and um. Holy Saturday. So I wanted to share with you just some ideas in case you're thinking, what do you mean? How can I recommit? What are you talking about? Like whatever you did for Lent, I want to encourage you to just kind of consider these things. So I'm I'm going to go through them fairly quickly because I've got nine ideas that I want to share with you here just to kind of inspire you a little bit. And some of these you could do by yourself or you could do with a friend or you could do with your husband or with your whole family. Just, I think really for me, Uh, going into Holy Week every year, my goal is to make these days different. So let's start with my, my first idea, which is not a creative idea at all, but it's to fast or abstain on more days during Holy Week. You know, of course, we have to fast and abstain according to church law on Good Friday and on Ash Wednesday. So during Holy Week, for sure, we're going to be doing that on Good Friday. 
This, by the way, doesn't apply to you. These laws, I'm going to just give you a reminder of fasting and abstaining on Good Friday don't apply to you if you are pregnant or breastfeeding or if you have underlying health conditions that could make that dangerous or detrimental to your health. So know that. But for the rest of us, um, fasting or abstaining, not just on Good Friday, but maybe consider doing that on more days in the week during Holy Week. Even if you just pick one more day and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to eat meat on Wednesday or on Good Friday, or I'm going to fast on, you know, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and on Holy Saturday. You know, you can you can set those kinds of differences in the way that you're approaching your life to set set apart this time of year, this Holy Week, as you're preparing for Easter. So consider fasting or abstaining on more days. If you've had a particular Lenten penance, which is a different kind of fasting, say you've been fasting from coffee or you've been fasting from your favorite Netflix or whatever, um, for sure, continuing those things. And if you are pregnant or breastfeeding or have an underlying health condition and you can't do that kind of fasting, maybe consider a different kind of fasting, something a little bit more that you could take on during Holy Week, uh, just as a way of cleansing and making reparations for sin and preparing yourself for Easter in a real and spiritual way. Okay, so that's the first one. Consider fasting or abstaining on more days. Number two, read scripture. Well, maybe you do read scripture every day, but maybe you don't. And this is an invitation, an encouragement for you to do that each day during Holy Week. A great thing to do is just very reflectively, slowly, carefully read through the the gospel accounts of Jesus's passion and death. Of course, we do these during the liturgies during Holy Week, um, but spending some time on your own, just reading through these passages and spending some time in quiet contemplation, in quiet prayer, can be a beautiful way for you to focus on Jesus's passion and death during Holy Week. And you might consider committing some of that to memory. It's a beautiful way. We've talked about this before on the podcast. A beautiful way to make scripture more a real part of your life is to memorize it, make it a part of you, take it into your heart. And the beautiful thing is you have that scripture with you at all times then, and you can recite it or, you know, remember it in moments when you want to be praying, in moments when you want to be, you know, very prayerfully contemplating Jesus's sacrifice for us and giving thanks to him for that. So perhaps consider reading scripture more. Maybe you do it in the morning. Maybe you want to add a little scripture reading at nighttime. Maybe this is something you could do together as a family. When my kids were little, what we would do during Holy Week is each of the days during Holy Week, uh, especially during the Triduum, you know, on Holy Thursday, for example, you can read the passage, a gospel passage, a gospel account of the Last Supper or of the washing of the feet. And, you know, talk with your, your kids or reflect on your own if you're just doing this on your own on acts of service and the the call that Jesus gives to each of us in that in that moment in that reading that we we share on Holy Thursday of washing the feet of others being the servant of others spend some time in quiet contemplation of that so if you regularly read scripture you know consider adding it to another part of your day or consider memorizing a, a part of scripture or consider doing it together with your husband. This would be a really lovely thing to do during uh, Holy Week. Uh, Dan has, for years, he's had a habit of spending really early on Good Friday morning. He gets up early and goes somewhere where he can see the sunrise and spends that time reading uh, scripture and other doing other prayers. And the past 
I think it's been two now. The past two Good Fridays, he's invited me to go along with him on that. And it's really been a special time for us to just pray together in a way that we don't normally and um, really just kind of mark that day, Good Friday, beginning it together and very prayerfully focused on scripture in that way. All right. The third idea that I want to share with you for a way to bless your Holy Week is to make a holy hour. Do you regularly get yourself to adoration? Well, if you do, consider adding to it, doing another hour during Holy Week. Uh, But if you don't, consider doing it. Your parish might offer adoration or a local parish might offer adoration. But if no place nearby has adoration available to you that works with your schedule, you can just go to an empty church and kneel in front of the tabernacle. You know, that counts. So, you know, recognizing Jesus's real presence in the Eucharist, Doing that in a a very deliberate way during Holy Week is a a beautiful way to obtain some of those special graces that you can have access to, especially during this holy season. So, But you might consider making a holy hour together as a family. Maybe you can bring your, your husband along with you if you have a regular adoration hour or bring the kids along with you. I sometimes hear from people who are hesitant to bring kids to adoration because they think... Well, how, you know, how are they going to hold still for that long? It's just sitting in silence, but you know, it is called a holy hour. <laughs> and um, but that doesn't mean you have to do it for an hour. If you're there with little kids, maybe try for 15 minutes. Introduce them to that concept of sitting in silent contemplation and sitting in silent prayer, teaching them by your your words and your example and your actions of uh, teaching them reverence for the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Teaching them you know, that what the Eucharist is and why we go to adoration and why we, you know, we keep the Blessed Sacrament in this tabernacle at church in this special place, you know, with a candle lit beside it. You know, give your kids the gift of that. That's, you know, you can teach them all you want in words and books and whatever about the Eucharist, but nothing really replaces that example of seeing their parents show reverence for Jesus and his real presence in the Eucharist. And that happens in a special way during adoration. So I, I really want to encourage you to, to, you know, give your kids that opportunity. And and not only that, give them the opportunity to experience the the beauty of of adoration and of spending time in quiet contemplative prayer. That is a gift that could last them a lifetime. You know, if if you if you grew up and you you never had an example of or you know someone teaching you about the value of contemplative prayer, it can be a, a foreign thing to kind of experience as an adult or try to learn as an adult. Well, if you're hoping to pass along the faith to your kids, teaching them the art of contemplative prayer by bringing them along to adoration on a somewhat regular basis, but at least during Holy Week can be a beautiful way to do exactly that. So consider making a holy hour. You can do a holy hour in in your own home. Not not with the Eucharist probably, but you you can say we're going to have a holy hour and you could spend time doing the stations of the cross for example. So there have been some years where we've done the stations of the cross on Good Friday here together as a family with the kids. And um if you're not familiar with the practice of the stations of the cross, it's so simple and there are many different variations of the prayers, but it really does involve like physically moving from one station to another. So if you don't have the stations in your home, most of us don't. You you can print up the different stations and you can put them at, you know, one year we did it and we just had them, you know, set up around the dining room and I, I put them on the wall and we walked from one place to the other. That kind of physical element really is part of that devotion, part of that prayer practice. But you could make that part of your holy hour that you might be doing at home. If you're not able to get to a liturgy, 
uh, during Holy Week. That's something you could do during one of the evenings during Holy Week. It's a beautiful and liturgically appropriate way to add to your family's prayer life with the richness of the Catholic faith tradition during the holy season of Holy Week. Okay, the fourth idea I want to suggest to help you to have a blessed Holy Week is to get yourself to confession. This should be a no-brainer, but sometimes we just need someone to remind us of the obvious, which is you need to go to confession. (laughs) And this is something we all avoid. I do it too, especially if there's a reason why I need to get to confession. That's oftentimes when I'll come up with the the biggest, stupidest excuses to not go like, oh, it's not going to work out. No, the timing's not good. I've got this conflict or whatever. A lot of parishes will offer extra times for confession, especially during Holy Week. So Look for those opportunities and get yourself over there, you know, or if you aren't able to make it at the regular times that are offered, you can always make an appointment. And if you're afraid to talk to your own pastor who knows you and comes over for dinner or whatever, make an appointment with a pastor at a nearby parish. That is allowed. That is totally legit. So if you have any of those hesitations about going, get over them. Give yourself the gift of the sacramental grace that you receive in the Sacrament of Reconciliation, especially during Holy Week. What a perfect time for you to get the graces in that sacrament and cleanse yourself of your sins in a very real way to prepare yourself for the holy season of Easter. So whatever your excuses are, I'm going to tell you, they're not any good. They're not good enough. If you had a bad experience in confession and you're avoiding it, uh, you know, I'm sorry you had that experience, but that's not an excuse for continuing to avoid it you know, go somewhere else, go to a different priest. We have lots of options. And sometimes we feel locked in, like you have to go to your parish or you have to go during the set times that are available at your parish. But if you have some kind of a hangup that's getting in your way, you know, first of all, no, you're not alone. Plenty of people have all kinds of issues and anxieties about going to confession. But, you know, don't let that deny you the gift of grace that you are meant to have in the sacrament of confession. Jesus gave us the sacrament of confession as a real means of attaining the grace that we need, specifically for our state in life, specifically for the kinds of sins that we struggle with, specifically for the kinds of temptations that we face. You want that kind of grace? you got to go and receive the sacrament in order to get it. Really, I, I mean, I like to remember when it comes to the sacrament of confession, because we, we many of us have you know, hesitations or conflicts or anxieties about receiving this sacrament. And it's not an uncomfortable thing to go and say out loud the things that you've done wrong. I totally get that. But that is 100% why we need to do it. God doesn't need you to go to confession because he needs to hear your list of things you've done wrong. He knows all about it. Like he knows. It's not, you're not, you know, sharing anything with him that he doesn't already know. And by the way, you're not going to say anything that's going to shock or scandalize the priest. They have heard it all. Seriously, they have heard it all. So, you know, the reason why we need to say these things out loud is because we need the kind of healing that comes from speaking out loud the truth and opening ourselves up to receive God's mercy for saying we are sorry for our sins, for acknowledging that they're sins. We need to do that. That's good for us. So don't deny yourself that because of discomfort or awkwardness or, you know, all fill in the blank with your not good enough reason to avoid the sacrament of confession. So make it something that you're absolutely going to do before Easter if you haven't already done that in the recent days. Make that 
a priority. And, you know, bring your husband along. Bring your kids along. Bring other people along. Bring a friend along. Make make a date with the Sacrament of Confession. Some of the most fun times that Dan and I have had are on Saturday afternoons where we'll go to confession together and then uh, go out on a date night. Find a way to soften the blow to yourself or others if you are struggling with the idea of going to confession. And, you know, really make that a part of how you are preparing for Easter this year. Give yourself that gift of coming clean in a very real spiritual sense. All right, the next suggestion I want to make is related to going to confession, which is cleansing your soul. Clean your house. This is something that has been a tradition in the church of sort of a spring cleaning in your home, cleaning out stuff. But I have always made it a habit to do this, and I kind of really enjoy the spiritual parallel of, you know, kind of cleaning out your soul, but then decluttering in your home, getting rid of stuff. We all have too much stuff. And, you know, look for a way to clean out some part of your house. Maybe you're going to get ready for company this coming Easter season. Maybe you're not hosting anybody, but this is a good reason to kind of refresh not only yourself spiritually, but physically your surroundings, the space that you live in. Maybe your living room or your dining room table needs to be decluttered. You know, look for spaces like that. Um, where you can make a real difference. And this is something that you feel. Like these things affect us. Your surroundings affect you. The kind of environment you're in as you are living in your home and as family members are living in your home, as you're, you know, working and playing and sharing meals, it affects how you feel about it. So having a bunch of clutter around, you do feel it, whether whether you feel like it bothers you or not. Um, look for a way to kind of have that kind of a cleansing, whether you're going to clean out a closet you've been avoiding or cleaning out the garage or cleaning out your bedroom space. You know, I think I've shared recently that Dan is currently working on a renovation in our, our bedroom, in our home. And as part of that process, he is completely changing the closet space. So he like got rid of the closet <laughs> and... So that meant I had to take everything out of there that had been stored for a very long time. Previous cleanouts of this closet did not go all the way. You know what I mean? Like I would clean at sort of a surface level, the clothing and stuff, but then stuff that was stored in the back and on shelves in there, I hadn't done in over a decade. So this was a real cleaning out. And it was it was actually kind of fun to see some of the stuff that was stored in there. And sometimes I laughed at myself for the things I stored in there and got rid of, you know, like completely useless stuff that I didn't need anymore, paperwork or whatever. Some of it was nice to see, like forgotten photos or little mementos or things from the kids. Anyway, look for a space like that because it really is a spiritual exercise to be letting go of stuff. Whether you overly attach yourself to material goods or not, we all can benefit from having less stuff. We all have too much stuff. I promise you, you have too much stuff. You know, you live in a first world country. You have too much stuff. This is just a fact. So there's, and you can bless other people with the stuff that you're going to get rid of. If you have clothing hanging in your closet that you haven't worn in years, someone else could benefit from that. Or if you have items or, you know, appliances or books that you're not using and you will never use, someone else could benefit from that. So you could donate it somewhere. Donate it to a St. Vincent de Paul Center or a Goodwill or, you know, just leave the clothing in one of those bins that collects clothing or shoes or books or whatever. Find a way to bless other people with your stuff. But then, you know, don't give other people trash. If you have actual trash, get rid of it. 
just get rid of it, throw it out. So I, I find it helpful when I'm going through a space like that, maybe one that's been neglected for some time, to kind of make different piles, like things that belong somewhere else, not here, right? Things that are going to go back in this space, like they do they do have a right to be in this closet or this drawer or whatever. Things that I'm going to give away and then things that I'm just going to throw away. So go right into the trash bin. So, but the follow-up thing is don't do what I often find myself doing, especially with things that you're going to donate, like put them in bags or boxes in your car and then drive around with them in your car for like six months. I don't know why I do this. <laughs> I know I'm not alone in it. I, I've heard other people share about this before, but try to make it a, a nice penitential practice of Holy Week to follow all the way through with decluttering that space in your home. You know, I, I promise you, as I was talking about decluttering, some space in your home came to mind. That's the thing. Go and do it. Um, another way to kind of clean your house on Good Friday every year, I like clear out the floors and I, I do a complete like cleaning and mopping of all the floors in my house. And it for sure is a penitential practice because I do not love doing that kind of thing. But to me, it always feels very liturgically appropriate to be, you know, cleaning out like that, especially on a day like Good Friday. So find a way to do that. Maybe there's a chore that you are especially avoiding that you dread. That's a great way to offer up a sacrifice, but also be cleaning out a space in your home at the same time. All right. Number six is another way of kind of decluttering, letting go of some baggage. I want to suggest that you forgive somebody. Who do you need to forgive? We all need to forgive people. We all hold on to grudges, big ones and small ones. We all kind of hold on to hard feelings about things that happened. Maybe something major in your life happened in the past year, or maybe it was many years ago and you're still holding on to bad feelings about it, still angry or resentful toward a person about it. You can forgive. And this is a beautiful way to prepare your heart and prepare your soul for the gift of Easter joy. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for us all, for the sins of us all. And I I like to remember, especially during Holy Week, that that means he didn't just die for my sins. He died for the sins that are committed against me. And sometimes this is a helpful exercise to kind of think about it this way. If you're holding on to a grudge against somebody, think about how our Lord suffered and died for the sake of those sins that you are even a victim of. So when he, when he was dying on the cross and he said, it is finished, he meant it's completed. I've reconciled man with God. I have made reparation for all the sins that have yet to be committed. And he was aware of exactly that sin that was committed against you by whoever it is that you might be holding onto a grudge against or holding onto unforgiveness. I think I've shared this quote here before, but it's a favorite of mine. It's always worth repeating uh, by Anne Lamott. She said, unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Isn't that just so powerfully true? If you're holding on to unforgiveness in your life, it is hurting you. It is destroying you. If you've been holding on for years, think how long you've been hurting yourself in that way. Give yourself the gift of forgiving. Now, forgiving doesn't mean you're saying whatever that person did is okay. It probably wasn't okay. It hurt you. But it does mean letting go of that anger, resentment, and you're not going to instantly feel it. But it really is an act of will. And if you're struggling to forgive somebody, say just a simple prayer. Ask Jesus to help you to forgive that person. You know, focus on Jesus's passion and death in reparation for all sins and ask him to help you have the right perspective on that. 
and let go of feelings of anger, hurt, resentment. It doesn't mean even the person might not have ever said they're sorry. The person might not be sorry. And that's a really hard thing, especially if it's something terrible that's happened to you and you've never received an apology for it. That's a very hard thing to forgive. But I want to encourage you to do it. Give yourself that gift. Don't drink the rat poison. And you know, it might even be something very small. Maybe it was just this morning somebody said something rude to you and you're upset about it. Make a conscious decision to forgive during Holy Week, to forgive people, to be forgiving, to be merciful to others as our Lord is merciful with us. And truly, that is a gift that you give to yourself because you stop drinking the rat poison. It's hurting you, so don't hold on to it anymore. All right, number seven, I want to encourage you to look for ways to keep silence during Holy Week. It might be during your commute. You usually listen to a podcast or the radio, and during Holy Week, you could turn that off. It might be during the evenings, you usually watch television with your husband or with your kids. Maybe at least a couple of nights during Holy Week, you're going to turn that off and have more quiet in your home. Or maybe you usually play music in the house or listen to the news on the ba- in the background or, or whatever during your work at home during the day. Look for ways that you could have more quiet. Maybe it's going to mean going for a walk and not taking your phone with you. Look for ways to just have more silence and stillness in your Holy Week. It will give a sense of reverence that's very appropriate, liturgically speaking, during Holy Week. Um, but it's going to benefit you too, because you will naturally be more inclined toward meditation and prayer, closeness to God, awareness of the presence of God, more thoughtful and reflective on the many blessings that you've received during this Lenten season. Look for ways to have more quiet. We need more quiet. Our world is so noisy. Now, far be it for me to tell you not to listen to a podcast. Always listen to girlfriends. (laughs) No, but you know, during Holy Week, maybe you don't need to listen to podcasts. Maybe you don't need to listen to the news. Maybe you don't need to have social media. Maybe you're going to take those apps off of your phone for Holy Week. Um, That can be a very good thing to do. One thing that we've done the past several years is on Good Friday, during the hours of 12 to 3, the, the hours that we traditionally recognize that Jesus hung on the cross, we keep silence in our home. That means no talking to each other. And of course, no video games, television, radio, no unnecessary computer or anything like that. And that's really been a beautiful practice. I I noticed it in, we started doing it, I think three years ago is probably the first time that we did it. And, you know, I have teenagers at home and it really just set a tone in the home that was very, very prayerful and, you know, just appropriately contemplative during those hours. And, you know, I encouraged the kids, I, I had different kinds of prayer aids that were available to them during that time. And, I encourage them to maybe go take a walk and bring their rosary with them and that sort of thing. And it really was just a beautiful and what a simple thing to do. Like we all have the capacity for doing that. You don't need any fancy equipment. You don't need a book to do it. You don't need a special resource. Just observe those hours very prayerfully and um, with that kind of reverence and quiet. Um, So, you know, if nothing else, try doing that much. And maybe you're at work and you have to work during those hours. Well, you know, look for ways that you could make that a more quiet time in whatever circumstances that you you find yourself during those hours of 12 and 3 on Good Friday. That can be a really beautiful way to make your Holy Week a more holy experience for yourself and your whole family. All right, number eight, I want to encourage you to get to all the liturgies that you possibly can. 
I know it's hard, especially if you've got little kids to get to everything. There's a lot that is available this uh, during Holy Week, right? Your your parish probably has a Holy Thursday Mass with the washing of the feet. And of course, Good Friday services, Stations of the Cross, Veneration of the Cross, and you know those kinds of liturgies. And then, of course, there's the Easter Vigil and Easter Sunday Mass. I mean, there's all kinds of liturgies. And, you know, a lot of times, even when the kids were little, we did our very best to get to all of them. But if you find yourself kind of burning out, and I remember being feeling particularly challenged in some years where we, you know, we kind of took turns like Dan and I would take the older kids and, you know, maybe he'd go to Holy Thursday with the older kids and then leave the little kids who are especially challenging at home. And maybe we try to bring everybody on Good Friday or to the Easter Vigil, you know, figure out what makes sense for your family. But I really want to encourage you to as much as possible, take advantage of those liturgies because they're so beautiful and what you know they're a part of our church's tradition during holy week and so many graces that you can soak up during those extra masses and opportunities to receive the eucharist or um, opportunities to participate in adoration especially following holy thursday mass many parishes have adoration that's available during the night check out what's available at your parish or at surrounding parishes nearby parishes some might have a passion play or something like that that you could attend and some people do like a living stations of the cross. There's all kinds of things that you could potentially participate in. But look for ways that you can get to some extra masses or receive the Eucharist an extra number of times or participate in stations of the cross. It, so many opportunities to do that. And, you know, if you're not going to do it during Holy Week, come on, when are you going to do it? Right. Make that extra effort, especially during Holy Week this year. All right, the last thing I want to encourage you to do is look for something tangible that you can do, whether you have little kids or not, whether it's a craft activity, whether it's going to be some project that you do. So many people do these amazing things with like weaving palms that they receive on Palm Sunday, turning them into a cross or doing some other project like that with them. And and maybe crafts are not really your thing, but there's something extra that you could do. And it takes effort, and but it also kind of, whether you have little kids or not, it kind of hammers home those themes of Holy Week, whether it's Palm Sunday and you're you're doing something together with the palms and, you know, focusing on that, that liturgy of, of Palm Sunday as you're doing so. Or one recipe that I really want to recommend, and I'm going to put the link to this in the show notes, is resurrection rolls. So, okay, Years ago, I had a recipe for what are resurrection cookies, and you might be familiar with this. I'll, I'll look for a link to that too, actually, and I'll share that in case you want to do something like that. But with the resurrection cookies, like it kind of takes you through the gospel story of Jesus's passion and death, and you're, as you're putting in these these different ingredients. So this is very much a hands-on activity for kids and adults to do together. Um, and, you know, each each step of the way, as you're kind of reading through the gospel account of Jesus's passion and death, there are different stages of the recipe that you're putting it together. And in the end, it's like a meringue cookie that when you bake it, they're empty inside. So it's symbolizing the empty tomb. But this, I recently came across this recipe, and it's a lot simpler than the resurrection cookies. <laughs> it's resurrection rolls, and all you need to do it are marshmallows and refrigerated crescent roll dough. So you don't even have to really bake anything. And it's a, a really simple recipe where you put them kind of wrap the marshmallows in the crescent roll dough and bake them. And it's actually very dramatic when you open it up, the rolls are empty, like the, the marshmallow kind of melts 
into the inside of the roll, but it's like an empty roll when you open it up. And uh, very cool, right? So maybe you have little kids in your life that you're going to want to do that with. It could be your kids or your grandkids or um, some children from your parish or neighbor kids or nieces or nephews. But I really want to encourage you to try something that's hands-on like that. If you don't have little kids, maybe there's a different craft, like an egg decorating, you know, something a little bit extra special that you might try to put together or creating an Easter centerpiece or baking something particularly for Easter. Last year, I baked this Easter bread, which it was like a Greek recipe for Easter bread where you put eggs like colored eggs on top of this braided bread. And it's it, the picture for the recipe was very dramatic. And I was very excited about trying this. In reality, it mine didn't come out quite looking like the picture. Um, and I was but you know, it was it was a good try. Anyway, um, maybe there's something fancy like that that you want to do. I was super intrigued by the idea of making boiled eggs, but they weren't boiled, right? They were in the shell, just baked eggs in this particular recipe. Anyway, maybe you are a master at making that kind of recipe, or maybe there's a different one. There's so many different things. Find something that appeals to you, whether it's a simple one or a more complicated thing. But I want to encourage you to do something that's hands-on in that way. Because you know what? We do crafts and recipes with little kids because it does. It hammers home these themes that we want them to learn. But we can benefit from that too. We learn also in hands-on ways. So find a way that you can kind of do a hands-on kind of activity during Holy Week, maybe for Good Friday or on Holy Saturday, really in preparation for Easter. All right, those are my nine ideas, but I bet you have some ideas. Let me know what yours are, or especially how you're going to be celebrating the Easter season. Easter lasts for 50 days, so we're in Holy Week now. But very soon, we're going to begin the Easter season. So Lent was 40 days. Easter, we get 50 days to celebrate, to rejoice. 40 days of fasting, 50 days of feasting. If you have a particular way that you're going to be celebrating Easter this year, maybe I'll share them in an upcoming podcast. I would love to hear from you. You can email me, danielle at daniellebean.com. Connect with me on social media. I'm Danielle Bean on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I would love to hear from you there as well. Coming up, we've got some more of the show for you, but first, a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean, and you are listening to The Girlfriends Podcast. Wouldn't it be nice to have a Bible that actually explains how to navigate it and make sense of it? A Bible that includes a detailed plan for how to read it with a page layout that's designed for study and personal devotion? Now, for the first time ever, there is a Catholic Bible that does just that. A Bible that incorporates the same color-coded learning system that has proven so effective in the Great Adventure Studies. I have had the privilege of working with some of the most talented biblical scholars of our day, Mary Healy, Andrew Swafford, and Peter Williamson, to create the Great Adventure Catholic Bible. This Bible makes the complex simple as it guides you through the narrative woven throughout salvation history. The translation is the Revised Standard Version, Second Catholic Edition, an elegant, accurate, and modern Catholic translation. The Great Adventure Catholic Bible is perfect for your personal devotion and Bible study, or as a gift for friends and family. If you want to understand sacred scripture and be transformed by the Word of God, then this is the Bible for you. Pick up your copy at ascensionpress.com.
All right. We're now at the point in the show where I like to share a listener question or listener feedback. If you have a question you would like to hear answered in this section, just email me or connect with me on social media. I would love to take up your topic in this particular section of the show. This week, I heard from Natalie. She says... Hi, Danielle. I have listened to your show for about three years now and absolutely love it. I am now in the point of my life where my fiance and I are less than two months from our wedding. Through our marriage prep, we have taken NFP classes, Creighton Method, and we completely support the why behind NFP. However, we are struggling. When we got into learning more, it seemed to lose its practicality. To tell married couples that according to their chart, they can only engage in the marital act three to five times a month didn't exactly match with what we had in mind as a couple. Very excited for marriage, all it entails, and eventually starting a family. Anyway, after a conversation with my fiance, I went out to find some podcasts that talk about the real side of NFP. And when I saw that you had done an episode in 2017 about it, I was pretty excited. One thing you mentioned was that NFP is not required. If it is not, then what is the alternative? Is there one that isn't basic contraception? We are trying our best to imagine a good, healthy marriage with NFP, but we are struggling imagining our marriage with so much sexual tension. It's hard enough as an engaged couple to resist. I hope that this isn't too deeply personal. I just wanted to get your thoughts on alternatives that you alluded to, as well as any advice for couples freaked out about over 20 days of abstinence per month. Thank you for all you do for the Catholic community. Okay, Natalie, so first and foremost... I didn't say there are alternatives <laughs> to natural family planning. What I said was that you don't have to use it. And what I meant by that was it's not required by the church that you learn or use natural family planning to avoid or space pregnancy in your marriage. Some people don't use anything and they are just completely open to life. However, that happens for them, right? So that's what I meant by that. And it doesn't sound like that's going to be what you want to be doing. I don't know your reasons for wanting to avoid pregnancy early in your marriage. But I would say, you know, first of all, if you're worried about too much abstinence, you know, consider maybe, you know, what your reasons are and um, consider whether they are grave enough to be abstinent. See, this is part of what I appreciate about natural family planning is that it it makes you have those kinds of hard conversations with yourself and your spouse and be really reflective about why are we using NFP? And in my opinion, it really works well as kind of a filter. It filters out the less serious reasons for avoiding or spacing pregnancies. I'm not saying you don't have a serious reason. I am saying it. this helps you to discern, is it serious enough to kind of take on this burden? All right, and you mentioned, you know, Uh, 20 days of abstinence per month, I'm going to tell you, it varies greatly. So that is not, in my experience, the average, what you're describing there. It really varies depending on the couple and depending on the method that you're using and the level of confidence that you have. And so I'm just going to tell you, maybe explore some other methods if it looks like that's what you're going to be facing or if that's what you're dealing with in your marriage and that's not working for you. One thing that really helped us was using a method that included a fertility monitor. It really opened up opportunities for us to become more confident in what I was observing. And, you know, you're new to all of this. So, you know, there is definitely going to be a learning curve there. And um, so I would encourage you to look up um, maybe the Marquette method. There might be other ones and people can correct me or send me more details about other alternatives as well. But the Marquette method is the one that I'm most familiar with that makes use of a fertility monitor. And in my opinion, that was like a game changer for me because 
I don't know, I'm kind of NFP dumb. And I had a lot of trouble, uh, you know, tracking my signs and interpreting my symptoms and all of that. And that kind of took the guesswork out of it. It also took some of that stress and tension out of our situation because I didn't have to feel like I was some kind of a gatekeeper in our marriage. Like, oh, are you the yes or the no person, right? And that's a really unpleasant thing. And that's difficult in your relationship when you feel yourself ending up like that. And they kind of made it into more of a clinical experience. Like, okay, the monitor says this, you know, like, um, and the one I had actually was a fertility monitor that was, was meant to be used to help people achieve pregnancy. And it had like red light and green light. And I, uh, so some of it's that simple, right? Um, but I had to reverse them <laughs> because it was it was designed to be used to achieve pregnancy. And so if I was using it to avoid pregnancy, like green light actually meant red light and red light actually meant green light. Anyway, I don't even know right now what new methods might be available, what kinds of tools and resources might be available, what kinds of new digital monitors might be available. But I'm positive that um, it has those options have only improved since that time when I was using that fertility monitor. So check out all that there is to offer. And I want to encourage people to reach out um, to me. Send me an email, danielle at daniellebean.com. And um, let me know if you have other resources or links or particular products or other methods that you might want to share with Natalie. Natalie, know that I'm going to be praying for you and your new marriage. going to be praying for you and your fiance as you're preparing for marriage and then for your new marriage as you are discovering all the joys that God has planned for you in your family life. And that's all the time we have for today. But I want to thank you for being here. If you enjoy the Girlfriends podcast, would you share it with somebody? You can do that very easily by leaving a rating and review that helps us to get the word out, especially on iTunes. If you have the time to do that, I would so appreciate you considering just leaving a rating and review to let people know you enjoy the Girlfriends podcast. Or you can just let a friend know, text somebody a link to it or share the link on your social media or just, you know, in conversation with a friend. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. And I would be so grateful if you would help us to grow our audience in that way. But most importantly, I want to thank you for being here. I do not take for granted that you have many things going on in your world. You are a busy person. You have a lot of responsibilities and obligations. And I am so grateful that you choose to spend some time with me right here on Girlfriends every week. Thank you so much for that. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Have a blessed Holy Week and a happy Easter. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation.